God bless you. Welcome tonight. Uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us here at Church on the Rock for Life Shape tonight, our Life Shape prayer and discipleship meeting tonight. We just got finished praying, and uh, we prayed a humble prayer before God. What does that mean? That simply means that we recognized and admitted our dependence upon him. According to 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, which says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their lands. And that's what God is doing here in the earth. He's hearing our cry. God is listening to our cry. I can imagine he's getting, God is getting more and more excited. <laughs> you know, can't you imagine? I can. I have no problems imagining that God is getting more and more excited about what he is going to do for us because he is seeing us respond to his cry, respond to the cry from heaven. Heaven has asked people all over the world to join together in prayer, and people are responding. We're seeing it like never before. In fact, on September the 11th of this year, it'll be on a Wednesday night, uh, so many around the world will be gathering together. You know, uh, we'll be a part of that in praying specifically according to Second Chronicles 7.14 in a huge international calling together of people in prayer, believing that God will hear our cry, just like he heard the cry of his people in, in bondage in Egypt. And that's what he said to Moses. I have heard their cry and have come down to deliver them. I like that. Just like uh, God uh, heard the repentant heart of those in Nineveh who were set for judgment. They were a wicked people. God heard their cry of repentance. He forgave them and gave them reprieve from judgment. He is getting excited about what he's going to do here in our nation and nations like ours around the world. And believe me, our world needs for God to wipe away our yesterdays and to give us a fresh chance. Of course, um, you know, tomorrow will depend on what we do with it. You know, um, sad to say that even though Nineveh got a judgment reprieve and got forgiven, yet, you know, uh, they didn't do too well with their future. A lot of them got, a, got forgiveness from God, but as time rolled on and the years and the decades rolled by, they slipped back into some very ungodly behavior, and it was not but another uh, a while down the road before God visited them again. And this time they refused to repent, and so he did judge them. You know, uh, just because, you know, God gives us a chance, and he will. Believe me, he will. He said he would. I know he will, okay? Because he says in Numbers 23 and verse 19, he said this, that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Psalms 89, 34, we're going to look at in just a moment. It's a part of tonight's message. And he has said that he's not the one that's going to change what he said. He won't alter it. He will keep his promises, okay? And one of the things he has promised is if we would pray and seek, he would give us reprieve. He would heal us and forgive us. And then it will be up to us what we're going to do. Well, you know what we're going to do? This is what I'm believing, what I'm going to be preaching, and what I'm going to be encouraging you to do, what I'm going to do. It's what Joshua did. Joshua 24, 15, simply saying this. Well, let me tell you what me and my family are going to do. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve God. And, you know, and that's going to keep us you know, rolling in God's blessings for generations to come. Okay? Those who serve the Lord, no doubt, will continue to be blessed, encouraged, and delivered. Amen. You believe that? 
Hey, turn to somebody here and tell, say, I believe that. You out there, just, just, say it, just say it back to me. Say, I believe that. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, tonight, this is uh, Life Shape Prayer and Discipleship. We're in Module 3, our new creation responsibilities. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act since we got born again? Well, tonight, we're going to be studying our new creation responsibility in block number 5 of Module 3 called Covenant. We're going to be looking at covenant. What does covenant mean? covenant. It's a responsibility we have as a Christian, as a believer. A, a responsibility we have because we have been born again, we are responsible to keep covenant. In fact, that's what our key scripture says. In Psalms 89 and verse 34, this is what God said about himself, and we as his children should be a reflection of his nature. He said, my covenant... I will not break, will I not break, nor will I alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Amen. God has basically said his covenant he would not break, nor is he going to go around trying to change the rules on us all the times and trying to, you know, somehow alter or change the promises. He said that those things which have gone out of his lips shall stand. That's what he said in Isaiah 55. My word shall not return void. It will accomplish what I purposed for it to do. Well, God is a covenant God. What does that mean? Well, in today's world, the word covenant is often a term that is relegated to legal circumstances, covenants and contracts, all right? Uh, and, but, but it was not so in the beginning. You see, God created covenant, and covenant is a spiritual practice, not just a legal term, but covenant is a spiritual practice. And since God created covenant, it will do us good if we will look to the Bible to actually see what covenant is and to understand it and understand how we can can keep covenant, how we can make and keep covenant. How can we practice this new creation responsibility we have of being a covenant kind of people, a different kind of people than we were before we got born again, a different attitude, a different approach, a different perspective, a different paradigm on our agreements. You see, when the Bible speaks about covenants, it's talking about a promise, now, all of us know what promises are, but this particular promise uh, that, that the Bible is talking about as a covenant is, 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 is a promise that either one person makes to another, okay, or else a promise or agreement that two people make between each other. This covenant, the covenant that I make as an individual, a promise that I make to another person or to God, or an agreement that two people make together. Covenant is personal. It's not just a big blanket that's thrown out over everybody. Covenant is personal, okay? And covenant involves a commitment that is backed up by a vow that we make before God. And we ask God to witness our promise. God, if you'll be a witness to this promise that we are making, that's what makes covenant. It's something that's so much deeper than what we have seen, uh, you know, uh, in, our, in our worldly approach to protecting ourselves from others. You see, a vow is a solemn promise that a person makes before God. Well, the Bible instructs us not to take our covenants lightly, that we should not approach making a covenant vow or a covenant promise 
very lightly. Uh, God doesn't uh, God doesn't take it lightly, and neither should we. You see, when we ask God to witness a promise we're making, when we ask God to be a part of a covenant, then He takes that very very seriously. In fact, Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, this is what Solomon wrote concerning that. He says, when you make a vow to God, whether you're making it to God or including God in this scenario, if you're making a covenant vow before God, if you make a vow to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. What does that mean? That means that God is not happy with people that just go around flippantly promising to do things and even swearing to do, making a vow, even before God promising to do things and not following through. In fact, he continues, keep all the promises that you make to him and not just that you make to him, but keep all the promises that you include God in, that you make before him. Verse 5 says, it is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Now, it's important here to realize that God intends for us not to promise to do something that we do not want to do or that we do not intend to do. Right now, no one can make you promise before God to do anything. No one today can make you make a vow. And God encourages us, if we don't mean it, if we don't intend to keep it, if we don't want to do it, then for goodness sakes, don't say you will. Okay? Now, don't get the indication here that God is against covenants or God is against promises. In, quite, in, in, in fact, quite the opposite is true. God is a covenant God. God is a God who makes promises. God is a God who wants us to make commitments. But he goes one step farther. He is also a God who expects us to keep the commitments that we make, even when it gets difficult. Psalms, the 15th chapter, says this. It says, Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? But he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He that does not backbite with his tongue, nor does he do evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his neighbor. But Lord, rather, a person who walks before you, Lord, will be one Lord who, who, who swears, as a couple of verses later on down says, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. You see, that's the kind of person that God wants to walk with. That's the kind of person that is invited into the presence and into the tabernacle of God to abide with Him. A person who has capacity to make a promise and keep it even if it cost them. Okay. Well, as I said, God does not discourage commitments, but He discourages us from making commitments that we never intend to keep. 
Uh, let's explore some of the things that the Bible has to say about a covenant. And I know that we're going through these things rather quickly, but I trust that you can pick out these nuggets and boil them down and apply them to your life. Tonight, there are far too many scriptures for us to uh, look at each one of them. So forgive me if I just give you a synopsis. I'll give you the reference, and then I'll give you an idea of what that scripture says, okay? First, when we're looking at covenants, covenants can be unilateral covenants. That means one person. One person promises to do something that no one else has to agree to. We see this in Genesis 17 and in Hebrews 6. God is our example there. He says this when he was talking to Abraham, and Hebrews records later what, he was, what his perspective was. He said this, when he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. That means this, there was no one bigger who could hold him to account for this, so he just held himself accountable. And he said, Abraham, as for me, I mean, this is just on me. This is my part. As for me, with blessing, I will bless you. What does he say? He says, you know, Abraham, it doesn't even matter what you do or don't do. You're not even a part of this. You see, I love you, and here is my I promised and my covenant commitment to you. I'm going to bless you. As for me, I swear by myself and hold myself accountable that with blessing I will bless you and with multiplying I will multiply you. Well, there's a unilateral covenant. That's someone promising to do something that is basically just upon them because they choose to do it. There are also bilateral covenants. A bilateral covenant is an agreement between two people and each one of them holding the other accountable as well as involving God to be witness in this agreement between them. Such was the case in Genesis 31 when Jacob and his father-in-law Laban were at odds with one another. You know, they were arguing and, and Laban, Jacob's father-in-law, really wanted to hurt Jacob. And Jacob, uh, you know, really wanted to, 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 to have his own life. Well, they met at a place in Gibeah and they named the place Mitzvah. And there they made a pile of rocks as a pillar and as a witness. And they called upon God to witness the covenant. And this is what they said in the covenant. Neither one of us, we both promise, bilateral, we promise that we will, neither one of us, cross over this monument. We will not pass by this marker and cross over it to do the other person harm. May God judge between us. But we promise that we will not go beyond this marker to do you any harm. And they both agreed to it. God became witness. And it was a great covenant of Genesis 31 that explains a bilateral covenant to us. There are also what we understand as conditional covenants. A conditional covenant is a covenant that we read in Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 is broken down into two parts. Here's what this conditional covenant says. God says to, to, his, to his children at that time, I'm going to bless you. If you will obey and serve me, if you will keep my commandments and walk in my ways, then I'm going to bless you in the city and bless you in the field and bless you in the basket and bless you in the store. I'll bless you coming in and going out and, and any, any enemy that rises up against you will fall for your sake. Though they rise up against you one way, they'll flee before you seven ways. I will cause you to come to the place where you'll not have to borrow, but you can lend to many nations. 
Wow, what a wonderful covenant, but it's conditional. It's conditional upon us obeying and serving the Lord and keeping His commandments. Because later on in Deuteronomy 28, the flip side of that conditional covenant is explained. Because Moses begins to tell the people, and if you do not keep you know, my commandments, says the Lord, <laughs> then all these curses shall come upon you. You'll be cursed in the city. You'll be cursed in the fields. You'll be you know, cursed in your basket, in your store, in the fruit, you know, all these things. See, it's conditional. Some things that, that are promised to us in the Word of God are conditional based upon us keeping uh, our end of the bargain as well. There are also unconditional covenants. Unconditional covenants are made without condition. One of the most dramatic unconditional covenants in all of the Word of God is found in Judges, the 11th chapter. In Judges, the 11th chapter, it's the story of a judge named Jephthah. It's, it's, it's a dynamic story, and I must admit I don't understand all of it, especially looking at it from an American theology. But looking at it from an Eastern theology, it's very understandable. It's very honorable. It gives a completely different facet to how God feels about covenants. It's the story about a judge who was about to go to war, and he prayed to God and made a covenant, an unconditional covenant with God. And he said, God, if you will help me to win this battle, then when I return home, whatever comes out of my home first, Lord, I will offer it to you as a sacrifice on an altar. And so he wins the war, wins the battle. He rides home in triumph. And, and, and those in his household, hearing that he's returning home, you know, they're so happy. And so they want to greet him properly. And the first person to come out of the house when he rides up is his only child, his daughter, who comes out with timbrels and with dancing and other maidens following her. And she's welcoming daddy home with great uh, excitement and it breaks his heart. He shares with her the covenant that he had made and she understands because of the dynamic of the culture that they were raised in, understanding covenants and vows before the Lord. She said, daddy, you have to keep this. Whatever you promise the Lord God, God you do to me because he kept his end of it. You keep yours. And so, you know, the story ends up with him fulfilling his vow to the Lord. Like I said, it's very difficult for us to understand from our paradigm and perspective, but it's not from many paradigms, perspectives, cultures, and customs of the ancient world and in many parts of the world today. That's an indication of a, just an unconditional covenant without condition, without consideration. This is what I will do. You know, this teaches us to be very careful what we promise to God. There are also covenants that are offered for acceptance. You know, in Matthew, the, the uh, 11th chapter, verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, that's, that's an, you know, you can accept this anytime. You can come to Jesus anytime. It's, it's a covenant that's offered, but it needs to be accepted. It's like a wedding proposal. It's a covenant that is offered, but it must be accepted and received and embraced before the covenant becomes active. There are also covenants that are, that are out there which can be accepted, but they are withdrawn. Covenants which uh, are withdrawn before someone accepts them. 
You know, covenants, the opportunity to enter into a covenant may not last forever. They can be withdrawn before being accepted. Such was the case in Noah's day. You may remember the Word of God tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, okay? He preached for 120 years while he was building the ark. But the Bible says in Luke, the 17th chapter, that he did this and preached this and worked this up until, you know, people were going busy about marriage and being given in marriage up until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the Lord shut the door. At that point, no one else could accept the covenant. It was offered. Like those five foolish virgins who had went to find oil for their lamps, once the door is shut, it's shut. Like that rich man who died and went into a place awaiting judgment. Once that door was shut, it was shut. No longer could he make it from that place into an eternal reward. A covenant was offered, but when it's not accepted, it can be withdrawn at any time. God would choose. Also, some covenants can be voided by authorities. We read about this in Numbers chapter 30, specifically in verse 3 and following. You see, it talks there about a young lady who, who has a father or a woman who has a husband. When the young lady who is unmarried makes a commitment, a covenant, a vow, a promise before God or even to God, or a woman who is married makes that commitment or vow before God or to God, uh, once their authority, once God and God recognized the husband and the father as that authority, once the husband hears what the wife has promised God or promised before God, or once the, the, the father hears what the daughter has promised, in the moment that he hears it, he can void it. In the moment that he hears it, he can annul it. He can alter it. He has that authority. And when that happens, the young lady or the married woman is released from her obligation without fault. Okay? Uh, and if there is any fault, the Bible says, the father or the husband would bear that fault. Uh, covenants can also be broken. We read about this in Psalms 55, and Psalms 55 is a, is, is a Psalms that many believe David wrote about him having to run from Absalom and leave Jerusalem. As he was running from Absalom and crossing over the Mount of Olives into the Judean desert, uh, there he realized that his trusted counselor, Ahipothel, had stayed behind and become Absalom's counselor. It so broke David's heart. And David speaking in Psalms 55 about a friend who had broken covenant. It was a relationship that David felt was sacred. And here this man had forsaken him. He had been his trusted counselor for years. And now he had become the counselor of his enemy. David felt broken hearted that the covenant was broken. We also see in Matthew 19 about the broken covenant. Whenever a, a, you know, a, a, a covenant can be disannulled and broken, uh, uh, even through, as, as 1 Corinthians 7 and, and Matthew 19, the marriage covenant, whenever a, a, you know, a marriage partner dies, uh, that, that, that covenant is no longer in existence, as well as if someone uh, uh, breaks the covenant through adultery or fornication, immorality, those covenants can 
can be broken. And when they're broken, the person who has been offended in that case is no longer responsible for that covenant. As well, the last thing we'll talk about in covenants tonight in this respect is a covenant can be dissolved by God in his time. That's what he talks about in Matthew 19 in verse 6 when he's talking about marriage. He said that what God has joined together, what God has witnessed in a marriage covenant, let no man put asunder. You should not void a commitment that you have made before God. If God wants to annul it, God. Let God be the author of that and not you. Okay? If an unbelieving spouse, by the way, happens to leave a believing spouse, that covenant is annulled by the Word of God. Well, at any rate, you know, one might suggest, my goodness, these covenants, what's new about this? This is nothing more than we see in our world every day. You know, it sounds like contract to me, but I beg to differ with you. There is a difference between a covenant and a contract, okay? Uh, uh, a great difference. It's in the nature. The nature of a contract is a nature to protect myself against you. A contract says that, that I'm going to protect myself against you. It's my good at your expense. You know, I will if you will. And if you don't, then I'm going to make you pay. I'll expose you and show everybody what a, what a bad person you are because you broke the contract. You know, a contract protects us from one another. But the nature of a covenant is the nature of God. The nature of a covenant does not protect me from you. Uh, the nature of the covenant may Makes, makes me say this, it's not your good, excuse me, it's not my good at your expense. That's what a contract says. A covenant says, it's your good at my expense. You see, a contract says, I will if you will. A covenant says, I will even if you don't. You see, I, I'll be responsible to keep my part of the bargain we make before God even if you don't. A covenant says that, that if you don't, then I'm not going to try to hurt you, you know, but I'm going to keep doing my part. The nature of the covenant is a nature of love, a nature of giving, and a nature of forgiving. It's not a nature of protecting ourselves from others, but it's a nature of making sure we level the playing field and bring others up to stand on the same place we stand. Okay? Uh, we're going to take a look at covenant here. We're going to take about two or three more minutes and read through a passage and look at covenant from David and Jonathan's perspective. In 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter, this is just after David has killed Goliath. Verse 1 says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let David go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because... Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Well, there's so much in that. I trust that you will study that and God will give you revelation concerning that. But basically, Jonathan's motivation for making a covenant was a motivation of love, a love which demanded action. Like God, Jonathan so loved that he gave. What did he give to David in this covenant? Well, he opened up his heart, opened up his life, and he accepted David as his own soul, as, as, as though he were as good as he was. 
And he offered him, in respect to this, his robe. You see, David, just moments before, was a little shepherd boy with the robe of a prince. Now he is seen on equal footing and equal standing with his covenant friend. He elevated David from a shepherd boy to a prince in the sight of others and in his own sight, accepting him as valuable as himself. That's what Jesus did on the cross for us. He took our place and we took his. He elevated us and cast his robe of righteousness around us and we became kings and princes with him, joint heirs with him of all of God's inheritance. That's covenant. God so loved, he gave. Not only did he give his robe, but he gave his armor, even down to his sword, very personal, to his bow, something you can reach out and get your future enemies with, and his belt, very practical, not only spiritual, but practical things. Here, this armor you know, was accepted by David. Interesting to note, David had just a few verses before refused the armor of Saul, and now he accepts the armor of Jonathan. You see, this gives us indication that we don't make covenant with everyone. But covenant has to be something special from the heart that we're in agreement with, that it, that it is witnessed before God that we embrace. In Jonathan giving David his armor, Jonathan is basically saying, I'm not going to protect myself from you. I'm going to make myself vulnerable to you. I open myself up to you in personal ways with a sword and in, in every other way, in practical ways. Here I've elevated you and I've opened up myself to you. And if anything, I'm giving you a chance to protect yourself from me if you feel at all, you know, in any danger. Wow. How amazing is that? You see, God joins people together first for what they can give to the relationship, not just for what they can get. If you have a habit of living like the world, if you've been programmed to protect yourself from others always, to always stand in a place where others cannot stand with you and, and keep yourself protected, if you have been programmed by the world to only make relationships based upon how it can bless you, what can that person do for me? How can they help me? You've missed the boat on relationships. God joins people together in relationship first for what they can give to the equation. Later on, of course, our giving should be a return as we receive, but not first. We don't go looking for relationships based upon what can you do for me. Those are selfish expressions of a worldly, contractual relationship. Okay. Well, this brings us uh, to a scripture. You know, some covenants, by the way, are meant to last a lifetime. Our last scripture for tonight, for, before we go to important points, is Deuteronomy 7, 9. One of the scriptures I love to quote. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God. I like that. You know, my God is God. He is the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations. It's meant to last not only my lifetime. My covenant with God is meant to last not only for my lifetime, but for a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. You know, the covenant that you make, the covenant that my grandfather's made with God, no doubt, is blessing my life today. And my covenant will bless generations to come. It's meant to last a lifetime and beyond. Well, this brings us to our important points. Point number one, 
God is a covenant God. Amen? Can you see how much God, you know, 272 times in the, in, the, in the Bible, the word covenant is mentioned. Not in its plural form, that's just in its singular form. How many more times vows and promises? You know, thousands of times God speaks to us about how he wants us to interact in our responsibility. God is a covenant God. Important point number two, covenant says you're good at my expense. I'm not looking to gain by this relationship. I'm looking at how I can bless you because covenant is based on a love that wants to give. Okay? A love, a respect, a hope, whether it's unilateral, unconditional, conditional, bilateral, whether it is you know, uh, uh, something that, that, uh, that, uh, that demands a gift, it is from our heart, very special, very personal. It's a vow before God, and we're expected to keep that commitment. Okay? It says, you're good at my expense. The third important point tonight is that we should choose our covenants carefully. We don't make covenant with everyone. Choose your covenants carefully. Do not enter into a covenant, into agreement, or promise to do something you don't want to do or something that you never intend to do. Okay? No one can make you. Make a covenant, a promise, a vow before God, a commitment. Okay? And so choose them carefully. And point number four, and our last point for tonight, what God has joined together, what God has witnessed, what God has agreed to, your covenant that you make before God, okay, let no man put asunder. Only God can release you from a covenant you made before him. God bless you.